podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Manchester United's start to this season is confounding. Eric Ten Hag's Reds appear constantly on the edge of breakdown and always close to defeat too. And yet, they have six points from the opening nine and it's a respectable beginning to any campaign. Old Trafford certainly stood in shock as United conceded twice in four minutes against Nottingham Forest last Saturday, but there remained a sense of confidence and defiance and justified it proved for a 3-2 comeback victory followed. Further injuries still have followed to deepen the sense of crisis in M16, but it's an away trip this weekend to Arsenal, back to London where our record has been so, so poor recently for a huge challenge at the Emirates. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is alongside me. Thank you for choosing us to spend your time with today. We'll be previewing the Arsenal game in detail, as well as looking back on the Forest fixture. We'll also play guest to player, give you your extensive youth roundup with a double digits win for the under-21s, and our patrons will get their bonus section 15 minutes on transfers the Old Trafford atmosphere Tenag's tactics and loads more it should be a really interesting one today because the questions are great from our patrons if you want to get that section become a patron you can do so for a couple of quid a month Paul Meachin is the latest to join the club so welcome Paul and thank you for your support now let's get going Jack it was some start on Saturday at Old Trafford but it ended up very good what did you make of it all I was in a bit of disbelief, to be honest, after three and a half minutes. I mean, the first, to be honest, my biggest thought was when the first goal went in, I could not stop thinking about Denver Bar scoring for Basaksha here against us in almost identical fashion. Yeah, It was Basaksha here, wasn't it? Yeah. He played for then. To be honest, I was still in somewhat of disbelief from that goal going in when the second goal went in. And it was just like, I mean, what was it like in Old Trafford? I'm Obviously, watching at home is is one thing, but what was the mood like in the stadium when that happened? I, I, I would understand why people won't believe me when I say this in hindsight, but I, I don't think I ever had a moment of doubt. For some reason, completely illogically, even after the second goal, I just thought, well, yeah, we're going to win this. <laughs> there's, there's no reason why not. And, and maybe because it was so early or so shocking. I Honestly, I, I can't explain it, but... I think the, I actually, yeah, I, I think I can say this now that we, we've come back and won. I think the second goal helps because the first goal, there was a lot of frustration and a bit of disbelief at how quickly it had come and everything. The second goal drew a defiance from the Old Trafford crowd. And I think certainly where I was stood in the Stratford end, that was definitely evident, but I'm, you can't always get a sense of the entire ground when the area you're sat in is is fairly loud but I do think there was a bit of defiance after the second goal overall certainly shock yeah uh, but the fact it was a decent weather on a Saturday afternoon would have helped if I think if that's a night game and you go two behind there, there could have been some real descent and these are kind of the really small factors that people sometimes don't attribute in, in terms of atmospheres but yeah I, I, I had no doubt at all I thought we were going to win that game at the start I actually, weirdly, I probably thought we were going to win it more after we conceded twice than I did going into kickoff. Not a clue why, but as it proved, United came out after those two goals, settled things down and I thought showed brilliant composure. That's a key thing. This this United side have far too often shown the opposite, been lost their heads under pressure. And this was, yeah, the, the first four minutes were horrendous and we can 
we'll probably go back to that uh, very shortly. But I thought the composure afterwards was right. We didn't rush things. We slowly broke a team down and uh, an unjust reward for it, I thought. The second goal, I think, also probably made Forrest go into their shell even more than they would have done yeah. at 1-0. I think this easily, if, if Forrest had maintained a 1-0 lead for 20 minutes, let's say, I think you could easily have been in a situation where United did start to panic, but Forrest were much more willing to send more bodies forward than they were at 2-0. And then we end up getting picked off, you know, once or twice more yeah. on the counter-attack in that first half. So I think it also probably, I'm not, like you said, it's hard to say that going 2-0 down helped because clearly it's easier to come back from one goal down than two. But I think it did set up the pattern of the game to be us basically attack versus defence against Forest more than it would have been had it stayed at 1-0. No, I think it something that I was sort of going back to as, as this game was coming to an end and it, you know, the last, what was it, 13 minutes yeah. of stoppage time weren't comfortable, but your mind, especially watching at home, rather than being having the emotion of being in the ground, your mind starts to go to, you know, what's next. And I couldn't help but think as we were coming towards the end of that game that is this going to be a similar third game of the season to last year when we obviously beat Liverpool? And it was this sort of galvanising yeah. force that seemed to really set us up for the rest of the season. Having to go and travel to the Emirates... The week after this means ideal. that, you know, we could easily lose. Exactly. We could easily lose and be sent back down to earth. But I think you've got to hope that this is that same sort of phenomenon coming out of this game as we had after beating Liverpool last year. I also like, I thought the, I thought the general fear around it, it, it wasn't excessive celebration. It was that we'd, we'd put right or wrong from the start, from the players. And there was, there was no kind of over the top celebrations and, and perhaps they could be, many players could be forgiven for doing that, having come from two goals behind and that early shock to, to win three, two. It's, it's not a, a regular thing to come from two goals behind and win a game in the Premier League. But I didn't, I didn't feel that. I said, and, and this goes back to, I don't know what, why logic had left me so to, to such a great deal on Saturday, but even after the first goal that we scored in, in the first half and we went into halftime still trailing 2-1, but even after the first goal we scored and, and there was that sense that United were playing well and had, had bounced back from that very significant early wobble. But uh, again, I said something along the same lines, a confident lines thinking, I hope this is the this is the thing that shakes this team up and wakes us up, not just for today, but for the rest of the season. I, we'll, we'll see about that. There's, I don't think there's many points making predictions, but yeah, you, you have to hope. What, what do you think was, was the cause of such a woeful, I mean, a historically woeful start, the worst start to a Premier League game in United history? To be honest, I don't, I don't think there's too much to read into in it really. I think it was, a couple of mistakes for the first goal and then a couple of smaller mistakes and then a little bit of bad luck for the second goal. I mean, it was it was only a minute, but the first minute of the game before Forrest scored their first goal, we we were doing okay. You know, I felt like, I thought we, you know, we got the ball down, we played, we ended up Anthony having a decent effort from just outside the box. I don't think there's anything that I would take away from that to say, I don't think you could say United weren't ready for the game or well-prepared or anything like that. It, I mean... We lost the header 20 yards inside our own half. And then Rashford, I don't think, was aware of how close Taiwo Awani was to him as he was trying to run through. And I think that's basically all there is to it. But I mean, I, say, I still don't really understand. That's all there is to it. That even if, even if you're not concerned about the mentality side of things, you must be concerned about the positioning, which I now realise I think yeah. you're just about to come on to. <laughs> exactly. Great minds. Yeah, I, I just, I don't really understand what... 
I'll set up his for my own corners. It happened multiple times throughout the game when it was Rashford and Anthony were two of our three deepest players, which makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, Wan Bissaka makes sense to be back there. I think he's probably the, the most obvious player you'd put there. But I, I mean, why on earth do you have Rashford and Anthony there? as you know, the two players of the last line of defence, I, I can't really understand. That to me is the bigger thing, but that wasn't anything really to do with, I don't, I don't think, a lack of concentration. I think it's just poor planning because we did that for plenty of other corners throughout the game too. It wasn't a case of it's the first minute and we're not prepared. I think it's just that the plan that we had was bad for the entire game in that sense. Interesting. Now, the resurgence, who would you say was the, the key to it? It has to be Bruno Fernandes. Yeah. I mean, this is a week after, I think, some questions being raised, probably mainly on social media, to be honest, but some questions being raised about the way that he leads this side in difficult moments. And I don't think he did lead the side particularly well against Spurs. I thought this was a proper tal- proper talismanic performance from him. Not, not the first time we've seen it, but this is the situation that Bruno Fernandes absolutely thrives in. When your back's against the wall... You know, you need a big comeback. You need a player to drag a team that isn't playing at its best through a game. I mean, he is... I, I would struggle to think of many players in the world I'd want over Bruno Fernandes in that kind of situation. And he proved that 10 times over against Forrest. Yeah, he was fantastic. He was central to it, to everything. And I, I, it, it, he's so good at that. And it, there's been sometimes... I feel like often when Fernandes has bad games, it's because he's been restricted to one area of the pitch. And he's at his best when he can give contributions on the left wing in the middle and the right and in deep and up front and I I guess Forrest would have to take some blame for allowing him to do that because a good team or not necessarily a good team but well yeah I think a good team would realise that if you give Fernandes that freedom uh, he will he will thrive Um, there were also other players who, who did well and Rashford was much better out on the left he had an influence in all three goals inside Old Trafford still a lot of frustration at him and Certainly by uh, me and my mate, there was uh, two going going at Rashford for a lot of the game. Uh, and I've, I've even seen it after on on various forums and, and online where people are saying, I, I know he got two assists and was involved in the third goal, but Rashford had a really poor game. And you think, well, you know, I, I feel that's fairly uh, contradictory. Um, and Anthony, as you say, had a chance early on and, and was also better, more... <laughs> more decisive in what he was doing. He looked like he knew what he was doing more. But I think all of this, when we talk about Fernandes overall, because I think, yeah, certainly he was he was key to it all. And I think we've often seen Fernandes thrive in that sense and, and drag United forward in pretty chaotic games. And obviously this did have an element of chaos to it in that United were trailing by two goals very early on and all of that. But I think one of the big positives of this game for Fernandes individually, but United as a team, as well is that not just did we show good composure and we didn't rush things, but we managed to come from behind and and score three goals. Yes, one a penalty, but two from open play against the team settled with a lead, happy to concede possession. United did this not in chaos of of an end to end game like we've had against Leeds United in the past, but against a possession uh, acting as a possession heavy side and. When Fernandes and Rashford are standing out in a possession-heavy side, I think that's a really good sign. There are obviously massive concerns about United's performances so far this season, but I I hope that's the sign of improvements, not just a, a one-off. Because Fernandes and Rashford have more often than not looked at their best in 
transition heavy games. And this was not one of them. Yeah, I think more so than almost any occasion, I would say, in the last few years, I was impressed with how how well and how frequently United were able to break down a deep block. This isn't a skill that we've been particularly good at at all over the last few years. And it's something that, you know, we've talked about as a big need for why we need to get better. To be honest, it's not something we face all that often because we're not dominant enough in most uh, games for teams to actually sit back and just let us yeah. attack and hope that they can hold out. They And teams know that we're vulnerable if they are a bit more aggressive in that in that case as well. You know, given the the way the game started, the just the game state kind of dictated that Forest were a lot more conservative in the way they set up and it, it did pose a challenge for us. I, I was impressed with how with how United did come back and I guess for want of a better word, we, we figured things out. We found a way yeah. and I think we did do that very well and in a way that I, I wasn't expecting personally. So, you know, I think there are some, I mean, you're definitely feeling better about things after the Forest game because ultimately we did win. You know, we ended up, we got the three points. You score three goals, which in itself, I think is a, a feat that we probably weren't expecting at this point in the season, given how difficult we found putting the ball in the back of the net. Obviously the, the key for United is we need to be able to be this dominant when the game state is much more neutral. Yeah, whereas... Currently, we're obviously, you know, sorry, just to finish off, we're obviously, we're fine being dominant like that when the game state allows us, but we're not like that when it's nil-nil and things are on a knife edge. Yeah. And I think you're now looking at the season so far and I've I've been on social media a lot less over the last week. Well, a lot less after the Forest game than I had been compared to after the Wolves game or the, or the Tottenham game. And it is a, it's a blissful experience <laughs> and you manage to get a lot less angry at, at football and life. And I know there's a lot of furore on Twitter at the moment about United, primar- primarily in the transfer market, but obviously it's linked to performances as well because if we'd thrashed all three of our opponents so far, that wouldn't be the case. But if you now think about these three games, we're going to talk a lot about Arsenal later, but it's it's so difficult because this isn't a game United are normally expected to win away at uh, what I guess you could call a title rival. Uh, they're more likely to be challenging than us as, as things stand. But away at Arsenal is not somewhere we've done well recently and has always been a hard one to win. But people will make their judgments on this these opening four games on whether United can win there or not, having had these these kind of difficult first three games. But how how many minutes have United, roughly, how many minutes do you think United have now played well for in these opening three games? If there's 270 in total, I think we had, we've probably seen 45 decent against Wolves. Decent, not brilliant. We've had 35 good away at Tottenham and probably 85 good, good to very good against Nottingham Forest. It's, I think there's a lot to be concerned about, but those are, some pretty strong saving graces. They are. I, I think there are some important additional, I guess, context to put to that as well. Of course. In that, I think the first 45 against Wolves, like you said, it was it was okay. It was decent. But both in that 45 and in the 35 that were you know good to very good against Spurs, we were, and especially against Spurs, I was impressed with the way that we started that game. But in both those matches, we were still conceding yeah. really, really worrying yeah. chances. And... I think that is probably the concern here is that I saw a good tweet about this. I actually, I've got no idea who it was from, but someone saying that United are the classic 
it's over, we're so back team because we create so many chances, but the way that we do it leaves us so open to counterattacks. And I think that is something that we've seen even in our good moments so far this season. So look, Forrest, I think was definitely the most positive that, like you said, after the first five minutes, we were very good. I don't know how much you can read into that because of the game state at the time, but yeah. there definitely are some positive signs. I think that the thing for me, and this is something that we talked a lot about in our review of the first couple of games, is that the, it's not just that we there are clear issues in this team. Every every team up and down the country still has issues they're trying to figure out. I think for me, it's that those issues look exactly the same as they did last year. And that is, I think, where where I still have a level of concern and where that concern comes from. Yeah. And I, I basically agree with you. But what I would say is, I think my fairly basic, kind of deliberately basic analysis thus far would be the thing that United have got much better at is winning the ball high up the pitch. Our off the ball work is much better. What we're struggling with is something that, from what I read about Ten Hag's time at Ajax, is is a fairly familiar scenario in which we his Ajax teams could get caught out on the break. And in the Eredivisie, he, he didn't really have to work that out that much because it happened so much less often because the quality of opponents were, was worse, was lesser. And it, it's familiar again. So we're winning the ball high up well, but we're getting caught out on the counter-attacks. And the key issue, which everyone will know, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that Casemiro looks isolated. So I think it's worth pointing out what has got better to mean, to, to make it more obvious what we're yet to fix. Does that make sense? <laughs> I can't tell. It does. And then I've, you know, I've seen the numbers around how many times United have turned the ball over in the final third. And they, they do seem to be better than last year. It's, and more, that is, it's more than any other Premier League side. Yeah. And, it is, and it's, it's a hallmark of what Ten Hag wants us to do. Like you said, it's, it's about how can we do that without leaving Casemiro stranded, I think would be the challenge. But, you know, it, 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 it is a positive sign in the right direction, especially given that we still haven't played a game with our, what we assume is going to be our first choice front three. Well, and we may not play a game with our strongest 11 all season. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to steer clear of too much negativity around injuries because ultimately it's really bad luck. So, but we, we may talk a little bit more about that in the, in the Arsenal thing. The other key issue, of course, is that our finishing has been really poor and the Spurs game is the most obvious example of that. But, we are the second most underperforming team in relation to how many goals we would be expected to score. We're only worse than Everton. Everton are have been laughably bad in this regard because, uh, get this, they their expected goals is 4.7 and they haven't scored. So it could be a lot worse. United, we've been expected to score 7.1 goals, so seven, and we scored four. So we've got a higher XG than City or Arsenal, but scored fewer than them. So that had our finishing been just ever so slightly better and a couple of key chances have been finished, then the significance of this issue around working out how we can get the right balance between attack and defence and not leave Casemiro too isolated would, would seem so much less significant. So yeah, there, there's positives in our off-the-ball work and how we're seeing that kind of Ten Hag blueprint of winning the ball high up. He needs to work out the same thing he needed to work out at Ajax and the players need to finish better. And even when we beat Forrest, there was still a glaring opportunity of basically an open goal and, and it was missed. Is there much more? Well, we should talk about the protest post-match because 
I think helping the Old Trafford atmosphere on Saturday was the the prospect of a, a post-match anti-Glazer protest and and that boys supporters and and brings people together as well. I think is an important bit. There's a lot of division in United's fan base, especially because of the takeover news and because of the Greenwood debate. But the people can can unite on the anti-Glazer front, and several thousand fans, there were estimates between five and seven thousand, remained long after full time. Um, and it was it was great. It was football fans standing up for themselves, and you can agree or disagree with them, but it's it's just good when football fans take a stand for things. And there was one support who remarked, "The migration of the fans to Stretford End was a touching moment, still our spiritual home." And it was as as most of the ground thinned out, supporters who were in East Stand and on on either side of the pitch, kind of yeah, migrated towards the Stretford End, and it was it was a touching moment. Um, so it was good and there was some good coverage of it as well and well, well thought through and well organised so that was great before we go into what is, is shaping up to be an exciting Patreon Q&A with some fantastic questions from our patrons this week I'm going to give you your first guest to player clue Jack are you, are you ready to receive yeah let's do it so uh, clue what reminder for new listeners or old listeners that's three clues in total the quicker you get it the more points you get and it's going to be a United player or staff member past or present and your clue number one this week is that Manchester United were not the first Red Devils that I played for Manchester United were not the first Red Devils that I played for do you want to go for an audacious first <laughs> uh, first attempt guess or do you want to mull it over during our patron Q&A that's given me some good information I think I well there might be, I'm sure there's more than one, but there is one team that I can think of that are also known as the Red Devils. And there are a couple of players I know would have also played for them, but I'm not going to give that away in case any of our listeners want to play along. So I'll, I won't make a guess, but I have a, I have a few names floating around. Okay. Let's go into our Patreon Q&A. We're coming out of a great 20 minute patron Q&A with a lot of focus on transfers and as we near the end of the transfer window but also on the old Trafford atmosphere and how does Ten Hag change the focus and concentration at United and about directors of footballs and all sorts but uh, that's that's all done now if you want to listen to that sign up to become a patron before we go into a youth and loan roundup I'm going to give you your second guess of player clue Jack so as a reminder the first clue was Manchester United were not the first Red Devils I played for your second clue is, I played for Andalex Academy, but broke through into senior football at standard Liège before moving to the Premier League. I played for Andalex Academy, but broke through into senior football at standard Liège before I moved to the Premier League. Do you want to go for a guess or would you like to wait until your third and final clue? I've, I've, I've got a guess. I, I will wait so that other people can go for it. I, I can... That sort of gives away my what the information I was trying to hide from everyone yeah. at the, after the first clue was that I thought the Red Devils were the Belgian national team. Well, I, I think that has been confirmed for me from that. I, I There were a couple of players I had in my head. I think they both came through the Andalect Academy. And I think one of them played for standardly age but I will cool. I will text it to you Harry so that you know what my answer was but I will not reveal it yet so that everyone can hear the final clue okay let's go uh, through what's happened in the academy this week it's been a, a stellar week actually for the Travis Binion under 21s side headlined by Tuesday night's penalty shootout victory over League 2 Stockport County in the EFL Trophy and then a 10-1 
weekend route of Stoke City. Let's start with uh, the game that happened first. It was just shy of 1,400 United fans travelled to Edgeley Park to watch a 1-1 draw with Stockport. Striker Joe Hugel tapping home a saved penalty after 64 minutes and County netting their own spot kick in the 13th minute of added time. Despite that late gut punch, this youthful United side maintained their composure and offered up a perfect shootout performance. All five takers converted and 17-year-old Eli Harrison signed from Stevenage last year made the crucial save in goal and United thus gained the bonus point in the AFL Trophy group stages with Bolton Wanderers and Salford City still to face. I was there at Edgley Park and I think Dan Gore in central midfield and James Nolan at left back. Nolan normally a right back but playing on the left were the standout players for me on the night. It was a great atmosphere as well, uh, a boisterous United away following. And it was, yeah, it was brilliant. A proper core Reds all, all there and the academy coaches and players alike were all, all appreciated it greatly. And then, yeah, a remarkable league victory followed. United hit double figures when welcoming Stoke City. Some goals were fortunate. There were a couple of deflections, a couple of looped goals that went over the goalkeeper. Uh, there were others of, of great quality from Isaac Cantonara and there was a fantastic late free kick from Sam Mather and a good one from Maxio Delhi as well. But after some blunt shooting in the opening two games, uh, which were defeats to Crystal Palace and Leeds United, this was a ruthless performance. And yeah, everyone, everyone at United was very happy with it. As for the under-18s, also played Stoke City and a second consecutive four-goal haul and another away from home. Middlesbrough were the first victims and Stoke became the second. Jack Morehouse, James Scanlon and Gabriel Biancheri scored. Uh, Biancheri scored a penalty and United's last was an own goal that was forced by Scanlon. So, Jack, I better check my phone to see what your guess was from the guess the player clue. Uh, but I'm going to give clue three. Nevertheless, so clue three is that I joined United in a deadline day deal and won three trophies in my time at the club. I had a pillow-like chest control. <laughs> I joined United in a deadline day deal and won three trophies in my time at the club and I had a pillow-like chest control. So I think that's confirmed your answer. I think I it tell has, you yeah. you're right. Would you like to tell everyone else what the what the answer is. Yeah, Marouane Fellaini. Yeah, Marouane Fellaini, who is still doing very well in the Chinese Super League, actually. I was interested. Uh, the other scorer, the other player that was, I was trying to rack my brains for Belgian United players. I've, I've since realised there's plenty more that I didn't initially think about, but the two that were in my head straight away were Lukaku and Fellaini. And I, I'm pretty sure Lukaku and also came through. Yeah, Yanazai was one I've thought of since. Uh, there was also Richie Delap, if you want to go further back as yeah. well. Um, yeah. I don't know if they've had, I'm sure there are other Belgian players that I'm not remembering, but I'm pretty sure Lukaku also came through the Anderlecht Academy, but I think he went straight to Chelsea from Anderlecht. I think, yeah, I think you're right on that one. Yeah, but Fellaini, well done. Um, After the second clue, that's, uh, I think, yeah, I think the third one made it fairly fairly obvious, but to to get it after the second is impressive. Right, we should preview the Arsenal game. We've had the, it's one of our worst records against Arsenal. Well, basically these last few years have been kind of our worst record and worst time against Arsenal for several decades. Combine that with a woeful record in London recently. We've won just one of our last 10 Premier League games in London. It's, yeah, uh, I'm not confident. Are you? No, I'd be ha- I'd take a draw and run. I'd be very happy with a draw. Yeah. I also like this from... um. John McKenzie, who's come onto the podcast a couple of times, uh, he said, the Arsenal-United game has reached a point of narrative perfection. Whatever the outcome of that game, the result will colour the debates for weeks after. Either team is fine or fucked, depending on which one wins or loses. And this is kind of what I was saying earlier, that 
all the discussion about United during this upcoming international break will be defined by this game when really it shouldn't be. So I guess maybe my question to you, apart from, it's, say it's a draw, what are you looking for? What are you hope, not, not just hoping for, because obviously we're hoping for a win, but what would encourage you from this performance? Say, even if United were beaten 2-1 in a tight game, what might encourage you? Having a lot more footing in the game in possession than we have done against top teams away from home under Ten Hag so far. Like if you go back to the game at the Emirates last year, which Oof, you know United were tough. a few minutes away from coming away with with a draw, and you know were leading at one point, we we never had a foothold in that game no. on the ball. It was really sort of hanging on the entire game. You know we got. I'm not saying we got lucky because we scored a couple of great goals, but I think the the general flow of the game would suggest that we were quite lucky to hang on as long as we did in that game. And the last, basically after Martinez scored the equaliser to make it 2-2, we, I mean, we barely left our own half. And so I think for me, that is a big thing that I would want to see as a mark of progression from this United side. Arsenal are, are going to put us under a lot of pressure when we do have the ball, when we're trying to move up the pitch, you know, we're probably going to take goal kicks short as we have been want to do under Ten Hag and especially this year with Onana coming in. Arsenal are not going to sit back at all. And so I think for me, can we play out of that initial press? Can we get a foothold in the game in possession? Which, I, to be honest, to, going back to all of the games that we've played against Arsenal, City and Liverpool away from home under Ten Hag, I don't think we've ever done at any point in any of those games, really. I think that, to me, would be a sign of, of progress, even if we were to eventually lose the game. Yeah, I think so. I've just been remembering the last time I was at Arsenal away and I'd, uh, I was on crutches after just tearing my ankle ligaments and Lissandra Martinez cured me. But you're right, I, I, we actually didn't deserve to come away from no. that game with anything. It was an unbelievably brilliant goal from Marcus Rashford, a piece of just, yeah, absolute individual brilliance. And then, uh, yeah, that brilliant Martinez header and celebration, which was fantastic. And I was, yeah, I was gutted afterwards not to, to have got something. United are going to need a, a bit of individual brilliance and, and hopefully Rashford can conjure something up again. But as as you were talking about kind of playing it short, I'm trying to remember, I think, yeah, against Tottenham in the good period, I thought Anana managed managed the game from his perspective very well and judged when was the right time to play it short and to go direct. And so I hope we see that from him again, that leadership of the, of the back four and saying, actually, we're under too much pressure now, we're going to go direct and, and, and not put put too much pressure on so I'm hoping that with Onana there that will give a bit of leadership in in defence and in in the way we're playing actually which is something I think we need but who that back four is going to be is is uh, certainly one to to mention Wan-Bissaka will be at right back Lissandra Martinez will be at left centre back but those two vacant berths for an injured Varane and an injured Shaw who would you bring in I think you'd have to assume yeah. Dallow at left back and Lindelof in for Varane yeah, I think Lindelof in for Varane is the, the very easy one. I think it's got to be Dallow at left back after not playing Fernandez. I don't think you can bring Fernandez in after having not played. Yeah. It's also such a shame because I think Molasu could do really yeah, well. I think he could too. I, this is this the kind of game, game that yeah. suits him. Yeah, and coming up against the, that pace of Saka and, and getting yeah. proper, like having a proper fight. Yeah. I mean, you saw what he did to Salah in the, the Liverpool game at home last season when we were in a similar-ish situation, sort of backs against the wall, no one really giving us much of a sniff. And he was part of really setting the tone for that game of just being incredibly feisty and competitive, even if the the sort of technical ability yeah. was somewhat limited. But I don't think you can bring Alvaro Fernandez in 
not yeah. only just because it's a big game, but also because he'd be directly up against Saka. And I think there is a so not like not that I don't have faith that Fernandez is good enough to play at that level, but I think you could definitely imagine a scenario where Fernandez gets beat a few times early in the game and then it, it ends up being a really, really tough afternoon. So for me, I I think you've got to play Dallow at left back and to some degree hope for the best. Yeah. In terms of Arsenal, you've watched them a little bit more than I have this season. What's the key debates on their side of things? Well, the big shock really for them has been changing the the structure of their back four. Thomas Partey has played at right back. Ben White has moved to centre-half and Gabriel has been dropped from the team altogether for the first few games. Declan Rice has slotted in as as well as anyone would have expected. You know, he's been very, very good. And then it's really just the role of Kai Havertz. So I think there's so many similarities between Mount and Havertz in terms of their signing for, you know, direct rivals to Chelsea. Players that are clearly talented, but maybe is uh, there's still a little bit of unknown about what their best position is. And, and, you know, the fans of those teams are still trying to figure that out as well. I think for me with United, the, the vulnerability in Arsenal is that that right back position with Party. He will come inside and he'll push high up the pitch quite a lot, which is what he was trying to do before Fulham scored their early, early goal at the weekend. That is, I think, the point of attack for United. And obviously our probably most dangerous attacker, Marcus Rashford, will hopefully be playing out there on Party. So I think that is where United will look to attack Arsenal. I think the danger is that this is a thing that came up when Rio Ferdinand did an interview with Zinchenko over the summer and Zinchenko asked Ferdinand how he would respond to a fullback going inside and coming into midfield. And Ferdinand's response was, I'd let you go and I'd trust that you aren't going to win a game being in the centre circle, but my winger who's in the space that you've just vacated could win us the game if we hit you on the counter-attack. And I think that United will look yeah. to do that with Rashford up against party. And I think the, the trade-off there is, can we keep a good enough control of the game-ish in midfield where Arsenal are probably going to overload while Rashford, like do we get enough benefit on the other side of Rashford being in space on the counter-attack? Yeah. So, Ericsson or McTominay? I'd start Ericsson. Interesting. Yeah. Why? In in your head, are you then thinking McTominay to come on and to to get United the win or to to secure things up? If... I think if we're really struggling, if we're getting bypassed in midfield, I would be absolutely fine yeah. with McTominay being brought on at halftime. But I think if we're, if we're going to try and actually have any control of this game, we're going to need Ericsson's ability to receive the ball from deep and get us moving forward. And I, I don't trust McTominay yeah. in those areas. And Fernandes' role is going to be really interesting in terms of how deep he is because you obviously want that creativity, yeah. but... Casemiro and Eriksen can struggle in, well, will struggle if if they're not really helped by Fernandez with a bit of discipline and Tenar's going to have to decide on that one. Of course, yeah. striker is also, I would expect Rashford and well, Anthony on the wings. Sorry, and just, just to add another thing to, to that sort of midfield debate as well. And this is why this game is such an interesting tactical debate because we I just mentioned about the trade-off of party coming into midfield and leaving Rashford out wide. I think there's a very similar one for United actually because Dallow has been of all the United fullbacks, I think the most willing to come inside and play as an extra midfielder since Ten Hag has come in and he did it almost the entire game against Forest. It was very, very rare that he got down the left side. He was always coming in and being that extra midfielder. So it's tempting to think, well, United can do that, bring Dallow into midfield to help out Casemiro and Eriksen. But then you're obviously leaving Saka on the right wing. And so I think that's why this is such an interesting tactical game 
to see how the two teams kind there of approach is, things here. I can't see any way that you can leave Saka alone. No, I He's agree. Brilliant. I agree. Yeah, I'm very jealous of <laughs> of Arsenal having as as we as we found out to our detriment last time at yeah. the Emirates when he had the ball 25 yards from goal and I'm sitting looking at my TV thinking, yeah, that's fine, uh, shoot. And then he yeah. actually scored. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Rashford did the same. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully again. Rashford and Anthony on the wings and up front, will Hoyland be fit? I don't think so. To start, I, I doubt he'll start. So probably Martial to start. <laughs> not not much choice. See, this is something I was I was going to mention during the patron Q and A. Oh, the hot take. This is in. a game where I would be tempted to play Sancho as a striker because I, I as much as I hope that and wish that United could you know have a solid amount of possession in this game and try and play through Arsenal, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think that our best chance to get anything out of this game is to be really, really good on the counter-attack as we have been at the Emirates in the past. And I like the idea of Sancho being that player to kind of link that midfield and attack. I mean, Martial was non-existent um, You've convinced Forrest. me. You've convinced me. And I'll tell you why, because I saw a video of Sancho's performance. I can't even remember who it was against, but one of his performances in Champions League for... Uh, for Borussia Dortmund someone said this is actually how Sancho performs for United he just has fewer players to link up with and I do think yeah. if we're going to be looking to expose Arsenal's kind of fullbacks and you've got Rashford and Sancho with that ability to to swap kind of the positions they're playing uh, transition between left wing and, and striker the, the two of them and you've got Sancho and Rashford combining that's Fairly enticing. And Sancho's had a decent start to the season. So yeah, you've convinced me. <laughs> it's partly also just, I don't want to see Mark. Like, you, you, I can imagine, I can picture myself now standing in the away end at the Emirates and thinking, how ineffective is this player? <laughs> why, yeah. why is he playing? And yeah, Sancho would I mean, in a, in a game in a game where United were having 80% possession for some 10, 15 minute spells against Forest. I mean, Martial was absolutely non-existent. I'd, honestly, I'd forgotten he played. Yeah. If you look at the, um, if you look at the pass map from, you know, from the game against Forest, there's like one very, very faint line going into Martial from Rashford that's and that's crazy, it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Arsenal, the first side in Premier League history to concede three goals in the first minute of matches in the calendar year. We better get at them early. <laughs> Obviously, we also we we also had our own problems on that front <laughs> at the weekend. Um, but yeah, and United are looking for our hundredth ever competitive win against Arsenal. If what, what chance of victory do you think there is of winning? I'd say twenty percent. Yeah. All right, I'm confident. Can't <laughs> yeah. Let's see. It's, it's. I know Arsenal fans are, are kind of having their own stresses at the moment. It's, it's such I, early season big games are, are so strange yeah. as United Liverpool was last season yeah. and, and United Arsenal was as well. So yeah. Anyway, we better. I, I'm better very I'm up. very intrigued about what Arteta will do if he will go back to the more traditional back four with Ben White at right back and Gabriel at centre back. Which would you? I be, know there's been a lot of. Which would you be more confident coming up against? I think I'd rather party at right back. Yeah, same. Because I think <laughs> re realistically, I, I, I think. About it. Yeah, and realistically, I think Arsenal are going to dominate midfield either way. Yeah. And so I don't think Party going... Like, the benefit for them of having Party is that you have another midfielder on the pitch who can help you dominate in that area. I think they're going to dominate no matter what. And so from my point of view, it's sort of like, I don't think that's going to make a huge amount of difference there anyway. And you're probably going to leave us with a lot more space to attack into. And I'd back Rashford against Party every single yeah. time. And on that confident note, 
let's wrap up thank you for listening everyone for our thoughts throughout the week you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod P-O-D at the end there thank you for listening thank you to our patrons for their particular support and have a great week everyone and enjoy the game at the weekend goodbye Network.